0: Welcome to my podcast, Watering My Unborn Dreams, where you will get to hear me churn out stories from life and books. This is the inaugural episode. In the beginning, there was nothing, the start of my working life. I turned a working professional in 2006. That in itself should speak volumes, I suppose, because you see... I am an offspring of that generation of parents whose sole intentions were to get their children educated in an engineering college so that they had guaranteed themselves a job with an IT company by the time they had graduated. This, in turn, would set off a predictable chain of events. One, go on site to US or UK or maybe both the places. Two, be the hardest working member of their teams. 3. Get married mostly to a fellow ITN and frequently against the wishes of the parents. 4. Have kids. 5. Complain perennially of not being able to spend time with family and children, of spondylitis, of high low BP. Diabetes, depression, stress, and God knows what else. The sooner parents were able to reach grandparenthood in this manner, the luckier they considered themselves to be. It was more of a competition between parents than for us children, who were clearly caught up in making this dream come true for them. It was without a doubt boring. But then, these were the only Didis and bhayas, Chechis and Chaitans that I and my elk had to look up to and be inspired. Quote unquote, be inspired. By the way, Chechis and Chaitans are the equivalent of Didis and bhaiyas in South India. I grew up in the South, ma isigye. So, yes, I. In this situation. I of course protested. But a greenhorn rebel does not get very far in a mass movement championed by the most vocal of aunties who have been housewives all their lives and now see this as a let us liberate our daughters from the housewife fate campaign. So, amidst Peter Uncle's son beating me in all entrance exams. Banerjee uncle's daughter outdoing me for the most coveted seat in electrical engineering, Nair auntie's son getting offered a pre placement scholarship, and Goyal auntie's daughter landing in US, actually Australia, within a month of joining the company. Amidst all of this, I managed to complete my graduation on time, land a job offer, and most surprisingly, Keep my sanity in place. Wow, what an achievement. And thus, with this less than stellar background, I began life as a working woman. Very predictably, in a leading IT company. The country's second most IT bellwether. It was a wrong choice from the start, you know. And by that I mean... Right from the time of recruitment. When I had said I love to write, I certainly had not intended to mean writing programs. Code? Me? I could tell you all the logic that you wanted. But asking me to write that down in any computer language is like waving me goodbye from the room. Something the HR executive should have done when she had asked me, why do you want to join us, an IT company? (laughs) Well, she hadn't. And so there I was, trying to do justice to the job. But I was sure I didn't want this to be my future. "Uh, So what will be your future? My parents asked me, half out of their wits, half scared, and suspicious in parts of course I also didn't know you see I wasn't a child prodigy I wasn't one of those kids who became what they said they would become when they grow up like Sharma Auntie's daughter she had declared at the tender age of five years that she is going to study in IIT To this her mummy ji very coyly replied, (laughs) Inspired by her papa ji. (laughs) Ah, Nice, huh? Two birds at one stroke. Well, the Sharma kiddo did exactly that. I on the other hand was unable to supply any such prophecy. At seven, I knew I had to be a vet. Matlab, I just knew it. At 11, I was convinced that I was destined to be the next Enid Blyton. And it didn't matter that I could neither spell nor pronounce the name correctly. I used to say Glynid Blyton. At 13, I had decided that nothing could be more rewarding and adventurous than being part of the McLaurin Mercedes Formula 1 racing team, be in the pit, change tires of Mika Hackett and Scar. And at 15, I strongly felt that my calling was in the civil services. At 17, however, I found myself to be a student of electronics and communication engineering in a government college that shared its campus with a government primary school and was located at a place very ambitiously called Barton Hill. I accepted this fate and decided that I may as well aspire to become an heir to Kalpana Chawla's legacy. After all, we were the same height and our lab uniforms were also the same style. <laughs> but I was freed of all such delusions about my abilities as swiftly as a spacecraft had disintegrated. At 23, I found myself in a precarious situation. I was given two choices, one, provide an answer to the question, what will people say? And option two was, agree to severe all filial relations for not taking up a job. Oof, both too much to deal with. Clearing a job interview with the false promise of writing fictitious codes seemed far far easier and so one day in my seventh semester i found myself face to face with a stranger who was asking me weird questions like tell me something about yourself what are your strengths and weaknesses why should i hire you it felt odd But 30 minutes later, I got the congratulatory handshake. I was hired. I was hired with nothing on my resume except for my average grades from school and college. A year later, in mid-November, to be very precise, 19th November, I found myself standing inside a campus of more than 400 acres full of swanky buildings within which talented people were working with the latest in information technology. The campus boasted of being harder to get into than Harvard. Standing there, one could easily confuse it for a Californian township. The giveaway, though, was the name that beamed off the blue letters from the whiteboard atop the building. Infosys. Mm. In my case, it should have been Outfosys. I oh, well, <laughs> don't know. Yeah. Anyway, I had made my parents proud by getting hired by Infosys as a software engineer. It was an quote-unquote achievement. That was totally in keeping with the great Indian 21st century tradition of making parents proud by getting recruited by an IT company through campus recruitment and it really didn't matter that I had no IT skills to speak of. Certainly not in the way that my friends had. They knew C, C++, Java, J2EE. I knew nothing. Once I had unwittingly remarked in the class on computer programming that I could handle Windows. It drew Admiratory gasps of ooh, ah, from the professor, who also exclaimed that to see something of that sort showed my confidence, since it was not an easy thing to do. Well, what I had actually referred to was my skill in MS Word and PowerPoint, which is, frankly speaking, just a little better than cleaning and scrubbing real-world windows. Um, bit of a total shame for me. (laughs) Uh, well... Standing in that campus on that November Sunday afternoon, I felt a part of that shame. And the feeling only grew deeper when I started training the next day. The sessions began in the room christened Michael Dell at the ground floor, right wing of the Global Education Center. An introvert myself. And finding myself in a room named after the world's most introverted CEO and top communicator seems a little prophetic now. My memory of that day is distinctly one of crying. Crying after everyone had left. Tears. Because the only thing I could see about my future was the darkness it would be plunging into. But they were also tears that for the first time watered the unborn dreams of my life. I remember walking back to my hostel feeling dreary. It seemed like a never ending walk. Thus started my career, fully knowing that very soon I would not be doing this. Not for the life of me. No. I knew I had to keep my promise to myself. I had to chart out myself, build myself, figure out my work ethics. Over time, what got me through has been the advice, support and encouragement I received from a lot of folks who were sent to show me the way. This kind of professional support system always works. Unless, of course, you have secretly deciphered the code to this. To say that I have the secret recipe would be hugely misleading. Certainly, I don't have it. And now, as I cross the 15-year milestone, I find myself sipping a warm tonic of ginger-lemon-honey and betting on the kites flying by. And when the excitement passes, I will write what little I know of life in my best Nawabi self. Thank you for joining me. Feel free to drop a voice message on what you liked and what you would like me to speak about. Until we meet again, keep watering your unborn dreams. Normally, I am told by the family that someone would come to take me from the station. My personal preference actually is to be picked up because take me Sounds like whoever is on the way home past the station is going to just collect me as if it's more of a chore to be done than a joyful homecoming. My initial impulse had been to see it as a gesture of affection, which showed that my need for transportation was well cared of and taken care by the family. But... All such doubts melted away when I realized that it was nothing short of a foolproof way of ensuring that not many people got to know that I was home. In the present circumstances, father was supposed to come to take me because that was the time around which he would be on the way home from his field trip of observing birds that can walk on water hyacinths. Now, don't ask me about this birds working on the water hyacinth thing because it's, you know, I've never really found out any practical applications of such observations. But then I'm not even a novice when it comes to such scientific observation of animal life. So actually, it's best left a father for whom it's his true calling. Yeah, so... I waited for about an hour at the station, and when there was no sign of my father, I concluded that it was one of those instances when science and technology had taken precedence over human relations. There was no point in meandering around any further, and I decided to hire a rickshaw. A rather greedy and quarrelsome rickshaw driver took me home. Hundred! What?! You pay me 100, that's it. Why? Oof, I knew that was the wrong question. I should have asked, how come? or uh, something like that. But I asked it anyway. You know, maybe what mom said about my brain was true. I am a slow coach. Ask anybody? Everybody charges 100 yeah right like i was going to conduct a market survey to find out the customer's attitude towards changes in public transportation costs and come out with them with some earth-shattering findings i'm paying only 50 i said sternly 50 ha who travels inwards to the third by lane from the bus terminal crossroads for 50 rupees have you ever heard of anyone living in the middle of the bus terminal crossroads Look here, I am an educated cut the crap. Here's your 50, take it and go. The commotion had brought my elder brother out. Now, my elder brother is not exactly an agreeable arbitrator when it comes to rickshaw drivers who double charge their passengers. Had the fellow lingered on for a minute more, he would have entered the finals of the world verbal duel with my brother. However, accepting monetary defeat at my hands, he had left. Brother opened the gates to let me in. I got a, here comes the blighter with goodness knows what next glance. I tried to initiate some small talk. Uh, everybody home? No. This was good. I didn't want to start off a chain reaction the moment I arrived. Uh, all well? No. Uh-oh, this was not good. Uh, What happened? Great uncle passed away. This was not a useful piece of information, considering that we had a dozen great uncles both from the maternal and paternal side, and they were living all over the place. We knew them more by the vicinity of their residence than by their names or how they were related to us. The deceased gentleman in question was the one who lived in the fifth lane on the left when one walked straight from railway gate number no. 7 by the side of the pond opposite the newly opened grocery store that was sandwiched between a shop selling Shanna's Hussein and Grainier products and which had a repairing centaur for bikes. Now, I can quite live with the fact that Gohade is not Shakespeare's hometown, but with all due respect to the bard and his ilk, I certainly didn't want it to be the reason for them to be turning in their graves. But then, these are some of the eccentricities of this place. Nevertheless, the errors had served the purpose of helping me gain clarity on which uncle had passed away. What happened? He died. Brother replied, looking me straight in the eye to make the point clear. Uh, of course, he did. Yeah. But what I meant was, oh, I gave up. My attempts at situation diffusion via conversation were heading nowhere. So I headed instead for some lunch and then retired for some sleep. It is a good thing to be unconscious for a while when things are getting hard and they're hitting you even harder. (sighs) Whatever next was waiting for me, I wondered. Hello and welcome to episode number 2 of my podcast, Watering My Unborn Dreams. In today's episode, I would like to read out a chapter from my debut book, You Adored, Me Ignored. Before I begin the reading, let me give you a background leading up to this chapter. Anna Macharya is our protagonist of this story and the book begins with a disastrous time in Mumbai where she arrives to take up a new job. Unfortunately, Everything goes south for her and poor Anam loses not only her residence but also her job and money. Heartbroken, she travels back home to her family in Guwahati. This chapter begins with Anam's arrival at the Guwahati railway station from where she has to go to her family home.